0: Hello and welcome to the dorm room dispute talk show. I am Mitchell Kaminsky. Uh, You know what? We had a bounce back week for free money last week. The uh, it's funny a bunch of people calling me crazy too for picking the Lions. The Lions covered, and how about those Bengals? Joe Burrow rolled in there, and boy, they kind of they pimp slapped the Baltimore Ravens. Are the Bengals legit? I don't know. They look pretty good. We'll discuss that a little bit later. The only team that did me wrong was the Panthers who look terrible. I think they have been exposed as frauds as well. But look, before we get into the sports betting, we'll have your free money picks for this week. Uh, you know, coming up in a little bit, a little bit more pressing issues, uh, we have to discuss here. Uh, you know, we're starting on a slightly serious note. Um, there was obviously news that came out, uh, yesterday. Uh, where the Blackhawks uh, made some major changes to the organization based off of a report that came out. Kyle Beach, a former uh, number 11 overall pick, he revealed himself as John Doe in the lawsuit against the Chicago Blackhawks. An independent investigation was made uh, alleging that the former Blackhawks video coach Bradley Aldrich sexually assaulted him. Uh, this came back in 2010. The team knew about it. They did not do anything. Anything. And I have to say, when you read the reports and how late the Blackhawks were to acting everything, it is really kind of sickening. And it's really soured my taste rooting for a team that I grew up loving. Like, as a kid, the Blackhawks were by far my favorite, my favorite team. Like, hockey has been a huge part of my life, uh, growing up. And, uh, 2010, I remember where I was still when they won that Stanley Cup. I was at my aunt's house and they were playing the Flyers in overtime and the Kane scored that weird angle goal. And it, it was great. We're, I'm driving back home, like everyone's honking the, the horns and whatnot. It, it was awesome. And now looking back to think about that, I was cheering for a team that had, had this going on. It's kind sick of sickening. Um, and if you listen to Kyle Beach speak yesterday, it, it's, you're infuriated. Nobody took his side after all these years. And he felt betrayed because the sport he grew up loving, that I also love, is now forever tarnished for him. It quite literally ruined his career. And sports is a big psychology game. Like, self-doubt is a big thing that comes into play. So it's hard enough being a professional athlete. Then on top of that, you have to deal with your coach harassing you. And then you tell somebody and no one takes your side. And he got, when he was sent down, if you scroll through old tweets on Twitter, Oh, I was doing some digging yesterday. Um, it, some of these old tweets that were popping up when, when Beach was in the NHL, and there was like, when he got sent down, there's a bunch of people saying, good riddance, the guy's a nutcase. He's clearly a head case, he's gotta get out of here. And then there was also a report from 2014 that when he eventually left the Blackhawks, was playing with another team, uh, Blackhawks teammates chasing around the ice during one of the games, and he's calling them, he's calling them the F word the whole game. And so like, it's, you know, I have fun playing with that. It's, it's, to, right, if you read the 107 page report, and you know, I'm gonna heads up here for, for our, our listeners here. This is, this is pretty grep. But like, people throw around the term sexual assault a lot, and like what it entails. And the Blackhawks, I'm gonna read you something. The Blackhawks knew full well about this. Um, Beach told the organization this. But because it was during a playoff run, the, the, the Stanley Cup w- was more important. But this is part of the 107-page report, and I'm telling you right now, if you don't like uh, graphic detail, then I suggest <laughs> muting it for the next uh, 30 seconds or so. But during the second week of May 2010, Aldrich invited him to his apartment, provided him with dinner and drinks, and told him he had the power to get John Doe on the Blackhawks roster. And turned on pornography. John Doe stated that Aldrich threatened John Doe by telling John Doe he needed to act like he enjoyed the sexual encounter or John Doe would never play in the NHL or walk again. Forcibly performed oral sex on John Doe, masturbated on John Doe's back, and then threatened John Doe again before John Doe was able to escape Aldrich's apartment. Joel Quenville and the other executives had a meeting about this. A week after, he told them. And it was during the playoffs, and they said, you know what, this is going to be a distraction. It can wait. And Aldridge was eventually gone after the season, but by the way, they still let him have his day with the Stanley Cup. So Stan Bowman's gone right now. VP of Hockey Operations, Al uh, McIsaac's gone. It's too late. Like, they took steps directed by the situation, but it is, it is well too late. Uh, that's that's just sickening. I don't know if I can in good conscience root for the Blackhawks for a while now. And it sucks, too, because I know a lot of the guys on the team now had nothing to do with it. They weren't there. The only remnants of the 2010 team still with them is Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, which, by the way, you talk about poor judgment. Jonathan Taves comes on, they asked him about this yesterday, and he picked a very bizarre time to give credit to Stan Bowman. Like, I get he, he liked him, but that, giving him Stan Bowman praise yesterday seemed very, um... You gotta read the room a little bit better, especially when you're the captain of a team like the Blackhawk. It's, it, it stinks. And you know what? It tarnishes, honestly, because everyone from what, everything we heard leading up to it, Chicago was a great place to play and all this, but this is why PR people, you get paid the most money in these places. Any organization you look at in sports, there's always stuff they're covering up, and the fact that this was buried this long, this is why PR people get paid so much. So, that's, that, that sucks. So, uh, credit though, to Kyle Beach for coming out and saying something, because that's not easy to talk about. Who wants to relive a chapter like that of their life? And I'm sure this happens in other spots around sports, but, uh, yeah. Moving on. A little bit lighter note. College football this weekend. Big college football weekend. John Harbaugh, coach of the Michigan Wolverines. He's got probably the biggest game of his college career this Saturday. Yep, I said it. It's not any of the past ones against Ohio State. Those were pretty big. Those were pretty big. But to this point, this is probably the biggest game of his career. He has failed to exceed his lofty expl- expectations he had when he got hired initially. Uh, winless against Ohio State, 0-6. And even worse, the second biggest rival, Michigan State, he's 3-3 three three against. If he was even 4-2 for undefeated, even look at that, then we might be having a different conversation. But there was even talk that he was on the hot seat for a while, which is no good. Uh, but don't let this fool you. I mean, he's done a good job at Michigan. I think he has done a good job at Michigan. But because of the uh, narrative there with the 3-3 and record against Michigan State and the winless against Ohio State, uh that's the problem Michigan. The boosters look at that, and that's no good. But uh, don't let that fool you. John Harbaugh is a good coach. He is two plays away from having this narrative completely changed. If you think about it. You look back, they had that drop punt against Michigan State. That was returned for a touchdown in the final play of the game. If he could have gotten that punt off, Michigan wins the game. If he would have just covered the ball, Michigan would win the game. But, uh, unfortunately, they fumbled, ran it back in the end zone, Michigan, or Michigan State wins. So if, had they won that game, he's 4-2 against Michigan State. Narrative changes a little bit. Then they had that horrible spot against Ohio State. Because by the way, hold on, I'm going back to that Michigan State game. If they won that game, they'd be in control, uh, of their destiny the Big Ten, uh, ease, and they would be in the Big Ten championship. And big John Harbaugh is likely in the college football playoff, and the whole narrative on him changes. But that is dropped. So then they have to play Ohio State, another big game, second biggest or biggest rival in the conference. Horrible spot. Everyone but people in Columbus, Ohio know that they, they got jobbed on that spot. Uh, it was it's it, anyway, it was terrible. It was a terrible spot. They should have won that game. They win that game. They're in the college football playoff. They're in the Big Ten championship. The whole narrative on John Harbaugh changes. So he's two plays away from having, you know, people would look at his career as success, but because those didn't go his way, everyone's like, oh, well, he's on the hot seat. So he's not doing a good job. He's revitalized Michigan. They were not, you know, they're back in the national conversation. But this, this weekend, biggest game of his career up to this point. He wins it. Winning record against Michigan State. His team's got confidence heading in to play Ohio State later in the year. This would be a big victory going into East Lansing and winning this game. They lose this game. He can forget about the college football playoff. Their chances are over. And oh yeah, his team, football's a game of confidence. You're not playing with confidence. You're screwed. You think they're going to head in and beat Ohio State? I don't think so. You lose this game, their season's over. This is the biggest game of John Harbaugh's career. If he wants to change the narrative, he needs to win this game. Ha! Auburn in the SEC championship. Well, I've heard some bad takes. Uh, I don't think so. And I like the War Eagles, but come on now. Let, let's be real here. And they're not even the best team in their, that, uh, that half <laughs> fishing. You mean, maybe the, uh, Gasparilla Bad Boy uh, Mower's Bowl. (laughs) Auburn could be the champion of that, perhaps. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Yeah, Alabama does look a little bit. uh, Yeah, Alabama, they've shown some signs, but I'm not, you know, when a push comes to sub, I'm not betting against Nick Saban. Come on. Uh, moving on, you know, Heisman talk, other college football talk. Kenny Pickett he's turned into a legitimate Heisman candidate. 23 touchdowns this year, one interception, played pretty darn good against a good Clemson defense Uh, and this is a lesson. You gotta give guys a chance to develop. You see what happened because in his career he was overall a very average quarterback at Pitt. Now he's finally mastered the offense. He understands the game plan and what's going on. He's making throws that he wouldn't have made two years ago. Guys can develop Guys can get better. This is why I have so much patience with the rookie quarterbacks this year. And cough, cough Tua. Tua's getting a bad rap. They're already trying to ship him out. He is done in Miami. I don't think he should be done in Miami. They've given up on him. It is way too early to give up on Tua. Uh, give guys a couple chance, like a couple years to develop. What happened to Kenny Pickett in college? He, now he looks great. He should win the Heisman as of right now. And by the way, Pickett's probably gonna get picked number 12th or 15th overall. He's gonna fall to a pretty good team. I mean, because he looks like an NFL prospect right now. Don't think he's gonna go high in that draft, but uh, he he goes to a mid-round team. He's gonna be in a great situation. And if you look at the rookie QBs right now, and this is why I'm patient with Justin Fields. I hear all this Justin Fields. Oh, he looks like a bust. He looks like a bust. Oh, it's creeping in. Chicago's a place where quarterbacks come to die. You kid, it's way too early to call Justin Fields a bust. You rank the rookie quarterbacks right now, and look, look at the order. Mac Jones looks the best. Where did he go? New England. Stable organization, Hall of Fame head coach with Bill Belichick. His offensive coordinator worked with Tom Brady all these years. That's a solid organization. That's why he looks very good. Then you're going back with like the Jets right now. They they're a dumpster fire. So Zach Wilson is set up for failure. He's already hurt. They've already killed him, which is even surprising for Jet standards. He's probably looked the worst out of all of them. Justin Fields probably be second worst, and like I said. Chicago is, the, Matt Nagy doesn't know what the hell he's doing offensively. I mean, he's, so that's, it, he looks bad. Then next you probably go Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville, dysfunction, not a whole lot, not a big good support system. And then I go Trey Lance, and the number one right now is Mac Jones. And it, the San Francisco 49ers and the New England Patriots, out of those organizations, they're the most stable out of all of them. That is why they are succeeding more than these other teams. If you look at these other quarterbacks too, yeah, great point by Peyton Manning, or Oliver Mikulak here in the audience. Peyton Manning threw more interceptions than TDs his rookie year. And now look where he's at. You got to give these guys a chance to develop because Justin Fields is more talented than half of those quarterbacks. I think he's more talented than all those guys I just named. But he's been the second worst quarterback out of the rookie draft class right now because he's got no support system. So give these guys a chance to develop. You have a chance to learn the offense. You cannot be too quick to, like, catapult them out of the organization. Like, the the Miami's delusional. They want to move off two of this quickly. Like, give the guy a chance. The guys can get better. Hell, you look at recently, just look at Josh Allen. Josh Allen didn't look like a world beater his rookie year. Now look at him, MVP candidate. So Kenny Pickett, learn example there. He's going to go to a good organization, too. I think he's going to be good in the NFL. Uh, World Series going on, boy. <coughs> Don't let people tell you baseball players aren't tough. Morton for the Brave, Charlie Morton, starting pitcher, threw an inning, he threw over 10 pitches, threw an inning, and then came out for the next inning on a broken leg, his push-off leg, kept pitching through it. Boy, that is some balls right there. Credit to him. Some toughness. I appreciated that. I mean, it stinks that he had to leave the game because he's the best pitcher. That's, or maybe Max Fried is, I, I guess. But that that's a tough break for the Braves. He's out for the series. But tip of the cap to you, sir. Uh, Gate, Season's on the line in the World Series. Biggest game, and you're pitching on a broken leg. That is, uh, I respect. Respect. Now, as far as the series itself, tied 1-1. Uh, I know the Astros dropped the first game. Look, it was... It, Dusty Baker said it, too. This team hasn't panicked all year, the Astros. And I know everyone wants to gang up on the Astros. Oh, they're the bad guys. But, I mean, look, they're winning this series in six games. You heard it here first. They're going to win in six games. I think it's going to be tough to sweep them in Atlanta. That's a tough place to play. So they will probably drop another one. But I don't think Atlanta has a starting pitching to hang with this Houston offense. And if you look at them throughout the playoffs, resiliency. First round. White Sox win a critical game three. In resounding fashion, mind you. Crowds going crazy. Chicago's got all the momentum on their side. What did Houston do? Next game came right out, stomped them. Oh, and by the way, there was that side circus too with Ryan Tepera making the comments about how they were cheating again. White Sox had the momentum. Didn't bother the Astros. They came right out, handled their business, embarrassed the White Sox. You head in against Boston the next series. Schwarber's hitting grand slams. Fenway Park is rocking. The Red Sox are in control of that series. Astros weren't bothered. They came right out, took care of their business. Handled. Game six. Well, wrapped things up nicely. They don't panic. Yeah, sure, they dropped game one of the World Series. They, they're not worried. That team is full. Cheaters or not. They're full of people that have been there before. Done it. Jose Altuve continues to impress despite all the side noise. Like, look at this. Look what they've had to deal with. In just the past couple seasons. Every visiting ballpark they go to. Guys have inflatable trash cans. They're getting heckled. Hell, we went to—I went to a game in San Francisco over the summer. Giants, Astros. Now, mind you, the Giants have should have no quarrel with the Astros. They're not in the same league. They're not in the same division. They never played them in the World Series. It's not like the Dodgers where they have a legit beef because it cost them a World Series. They weren't even in the playoffs that year. The oh lord, how loud they were when Altuve came up, mercilessly being heckled. They had a guy with a cowbell going, shame, 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 and this is every ballpark they go to. Every ballpark they have to deal with that. So I don't think the little Atlanta crowd with their tomahawk chop or whatever. You think they're gonna be phased by that? No. I they, the, the the Astros, I think, are winning this in six games. Dusty Baker, he needs a World Series <laughs> for his Hall of Fame resume. So I think they he's taking advantage of it. Uh, I, I I I do. Uh, I think they're gonna win. I'm rooting for Atlanta, but don't get your hopes up, people. Do not get your hopes up. Uh, moving on to this is let's say I'm interested to see what the audience thinks here. Uh, is Ch- uh, Jamar Chase is he the best rookie wide receiver in history? I think we had a debate a couple weeks ago. We were talking about he might be better than Justin Jefferson. Oh, he, he's past Justin Jefferson's standards as rookie year, and which is surprising, too. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I, I thought it was a terrible pick by the Bengals when they picked Jamar Chase. I thought they needed O-line help, especially after Joe Burrow got obliterated his rookie year because of their poor offensive line. He was taking punishment. They already had some weapons on the outside. You know, they got T Higgins, who's a stud, and they're like, nah, you know what? Well, let's get my buddy Jamar Chase from LSU. And he's exceeded all expectations. He's completely turned that team around. That Jamar Chase could be a legitimate MVP candidate. Because look at the big chains they've had from last year's Bengals to this year's Bengals. Now, the defense is a lot more solid this year for the Bengals. I'll give them that. And you got Joe Burrow healthy for the full season. But the biggest X factor, Jamar Chase. How is he not? He should have MVP consideration. Seriously. Is this not the best rookie wide receiver campaign you've ever seen? I think so. Man's a stud. He can't be guarded. Like, I mean, some of the plays he made against the Ravens. Oof. Good lord. It was a simple, like, 15-yard pass. He's spinning around defenders. Taking it to the house. I, I wonder what the odds are for him right now for MVP. I mean, they probably, it's a quarterback award usually, and Derrick Henry's having a fine campaign too, but I think he could make an argument. Uh, Jamar Chase could be an MVP. Uh, alright. Last couple things. We're gonna into free money in a second. Uh, You know know what? Shout out to Oliver Mickelat once again. He did say he was going to be better than Justin Jefferson after the first week. So, you know what? Props to you. You were ahead of the curve there. Can't say that often with Oliver. (laughs) But, uh, this is true. This is true. Uh, yeah. Before we get into our free money picks here, like we mentioned, we bounced back. Winning week last week. I was very happy with the Lions this week. I think we got some good ones. But last thing I want to talk about, boy, the Los Angeles Lakers, they blew a 26-point lead last night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it's early in the season, yeah, you know. But uh, <laughs> this is why LeBron James, he wants to be a GM after after he retires. This, if I was an owner of a team, LeBron's a smart man. He should not be anywhere near making the front office decisions for any organization. Like let's look at his history, picking his players or whatever. Back in Cleveland, second stint around, he gives some say, he brings in his buddy D Wade. Oh, he brings in Derrick Rose. They have this old team. Then they get yeah, they they get Isaiah Thomas and Crowd, and that was a disaster. They stunk. Brought in a bunch of his old buddies. They were terrible. They had to blow it up halfway through the year just to make a run at the finals and get younger and more athletic. Well, what do you know? This year, once again, Lakers, if you watch them in the finals, they failed because they did not have enough perimeter shooting. LeBron, by the way, played a lack of defense. There's was a clear lack of effort. Like, don't get, don't get it twisted. He played like dog that series. And then Anthony Davis failed to stay healthy once again. So how do the Lakers rectify this situation? They need shooting and guys that can stay healthy. Oh, yeah, let's just bring in a bunch more old guys. Let's bring in Kamalo Anthony. Oh, let's bring in Russell Westbrook. He- he's good. He's old and he's also injury prone. Yeah, that'll be good. Let's bring in the, they- they're bringing in, and then Dwight Howard with Rajon Rondo. Like, how many old guys can you have? If they had a one team, they are way too old. This is not a championship, calendar. They didn't address any needs they had over the offseason. And that 26 point loss, you know, if you look at the box score. Russell was, Russell Westbrook had a phenomenal game. A quadruple double. He's a good player. That's what he's going to give you. I I like Westbrook. He's exciting. But that was not what the Lakers needed with Russell Westbrook. Uh, If you look at him yesterday, he chucks up a three. Mind you, he's one of the worst three-point shooters in NBA history. He's shooting 17% this year. And LeBron's sitting out so up to Westbrook to carry the team. He's chucking up threes, bad shot selection, 20 seconds to go. There's still 20. Late in the game, the Lakers down by three. 21 seconds still on the shot clock, and the worst three-point shooter on the floor, Russell Westbrook, is hoisting up a brick. That's just unexcusable, unexcusable. The Lakers in their proud history, they're 230 and 0 when leading by 26 or more after the fourth or after the third quarter. Well, Russell Westbrook joins the team all of a sudden 236 <laughs> one. So, good God. And this is why I think Russell Westbrook criticism is fair because he's not. He's not, you talk about bad self-awareness, that man's totally not self-aware. And you notice, And he should not be in the top, the conversation for top three point guards of all time. No, not even close. Top 10, maybe? I heard he was like right behind Magic Johnson. Get the hell out of here. No way. No shot. He got carried by Kevin Durant and Oklahoma City, and by the way, You notice he hasn't gotten back to a final since Durant left, which he helped drive him out because of his poor shot selection late in the fourth quarter when Durant should have had the ball and he's hoisting up shots. Since then, he struggled to get out of the first round. And I give him credit for what he did with the Wizards last year. I I really do. He is an excellent player. And like I said, he's a top 10 point guard all the time. But don't put him near the Magic Johnson category. He's not on the Mount Rushmore point guard just yet. I no, No siree. You can shit on Chris Paul all you want, but at least he's made a finals since in the last couple years. Did they lose it? Yeah, but I, I think his campaign was more compress- impressive. I would put Chris Paul ahead of Russell Westbrook in any point guard ranking. Alright, let's get into it. You guys have waited long enough. It is free money time. Like I said, some of the lines this week, I I kind of like. I think it's going to be a good one. We'll see. Don't want to don't get over-anxious here, but let's see what we got. Alright, first things first I am taking the Buccaneers over the New Orleans Saints Bucks are favored by 4.5, I will take those points I think they win by more than a touchdown Tom Brady last week basically all he had to do was sit back and scratch his ass and he still managed to toss 211 yards 4 touchdowns and post a 109.8 quarterback rating, that's pretty solid the Bears defense middle of the road but there are no pushovers, he dayed them up you wouldn't know, Like they it was just mercy he looked good. Tom Brady leads the NFL with 21 TDs and has 325 yards per game, uh, is also first in the league. So, Brady's playing the best football I think he's ever played in his life. Uh, I think he looks better than he did, like, in his early years with the Patriots. It's funny. He throws the ball better with age. Part of that might be, you know, that Florida air down there. It's good for old people, and he's taking advantage of it. But the Bucks' offense is also humming. They, they are, they rank third in points per game with 33.3, and they are also fourth in the league on third down. So they're picking, they, they're keeping the chains moving. I like that a lot. Their defense is still solid as ever. Their defense forced a 43.3, or 44.3 rating. Uh, against the Bears last week, they forced five turnovers, three interceptions. This week, they're facing famous Jameis, the interception king himself. While he's only thrown three this year, I think the Buccaneers can force him into some bad plays. They didn't look all that inspiring against a pretty bad Seahawks team right now. Monday Night Football, that game was a hot mess. If you wasted your time watching that, I am sorry for you. I had it on for about 20 minutes, and I was like, I cannot stomach this crap anymore. Uh The, I, the, the Saints are wildly inconsistent and when I have Brady going against Jameis Winston, yeah, I'm taking Brady in that every time. So you know what, you four and a half, I think they'll win by more than that. You take the Bucks over the Saints, Uh Titans over the Colts. I got the Titans, and I'm getting points. The Titans just beat two of the best teams in the AFC. Now I know they're on the road in Indy, but they are two point underdogs. So yeah, I'm giving me the points all day. Titans covering, I think, win against the Colts. Colts old line, well, I mean. Carson Wentz, by the way, he he's looked very good uh, as of late. Uh so they um sorry, just found a chat. So you're telling me to start the Bucs defense in fantasy? Yeah, I think that would be a good play. Depends who else is available, but I I do like the Bucks defense this week. I think they win I think it's gonna be they're winning more because of their offense and their defense, but uh I, I like I like the the Bucks defense in general. They force a lot of turnovers. I, I would start them this week. Anyway, back to what I was talking about the Titans and the Colts. Uh Colts O-line, they have allowed 15 sacks in the last seven games. So you make Carson Wentz uncomfortable, you saw in Philly, when the structure broke down around him, especially after all these injuries, he gets a little gunshot in the pocket, makes some bad decisions. He's been under arrest. Now, he has been playing better. I'll give him that, but still, that's concerning with the offensive line. And then on the Titans, you got Harold Landry, who's been an absolute beast. He's got seven and a half sacks this year, eight tackles for a loss, and 13 QB hits. So you pair that with the cold, shoddy old line play in the last 17 games. Uh, I I like the trajectory. That's heightened. Uh, the Titans defense, they help. pass. Patrick Mahomes with a 63.3 rating and forced an interception. Patrick Mahomes, last I checked, a little bit better than Carson Wentz, also has a lot more support there. Derrick Henry, the run game, I think they're going to be able to impose their will. Now, I know it's on the road in Indy, but last year when the Titans traveled up to Indianapolis, uh, they were able to, they, it was ground and pound all day. Derrick Henry was phenomenal. He had three TDs and over 100, or 100 yards at halftime. And this season, he's leading the NFL with 869 yards. Nice. And 10 touchdowns. So, uh, once again, I think they're set up well. The Titans' O-line has only allowed one sack in the past two games. So Ryan Tannehill going to be comfortable back there. Getting two points. That one's a no-brainer. I'm taking the Titans. And they're playing with confidence right now. They are hot. Colts coming up big in the division. They're they're right there in the division. So this is a big game. So I don't think after the two big wins, they're going to have a letdown because they're going to be traveling on the road to a division rival. And they need to win this one to keep, they keep control of their own destiny in that division. So, take the Titans plus two. Finally, uh, I'm taking the Redskins over the Denver Broncos plus three. Uh, I've listened to Marshall's, uh, Bron- even Marshall's giving up at the Broncos at this point. That's how you know things have gone from bad to worse. It's, it's not, it's not looking good. Um, Washington, now listen, Washington is not a great football team. I hate supporting <laughs> Washington and Taylor Heineke, but, There's way too many injuries for Denver. That defense is decimated. That is why that injures brought... Everyone was giving props to the Browns for, oh, Case Keenan with the backup quarterback, and they had the third string running back running all over Denver. That's so impressive. It really wasn't if you look at all the injuries for the Broncos. Hey, oh, by the way, Von Miller too got hurt in that game, so he lost another pass rusher. They're a shell of what they used to be, and that was the, that was what was going strong for them. Their offense right now looks like hot garbage. They can't move the ball. It, it's, it's like watching mud slide uphill, watching this team try and push the ball downfield. I don't even think it's Teddy Bridgewater's fault. I don't know what it is. Because on paper, that's a solid roster. They just can't seem to do anything. I think their record, the three wins, were a product of their opponents. Uh, and all of a sudden, they start playing some worthy competition. And they don't look as good. Washington's defense, they took a step in the right direction against the Packers as a team that's really clinging to life support for their season. They're trying anything to stay alive. But I think Taylor Heineke, he plays hard each week. I think he's going to be able to get it done. I like Washington over Denver, plus three. So we got two underdogs this week. And I do like dogs. I think there's more value in them. But, yeah, Titans over the Colts, plus two. Take Washington to cover over Denver, plus three, and then the only favorite this week, the Buccaneers over the Saints minus four and a half, and it's Tom Brady. You're betting on Tom. Tom, terrific. That is a safe bet any day of the week. That is all we have for you. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the World Series, and enjoy your football weekend.